0: Good morning, everyone. It's great to have you here together today at First Christian Church. I'm very glad you're with us here in the West Auditorium. Those who worship with us in the East, it's also great to have you here today. And our friends down in Lovington, welcome. And everybody that's joining us online, very, very gl- I'm very glad that you're with us as well. For guests, let me introduce myself. My name is Wayne, I'm part of the pastoral team. And uh, we're gonna spend some time together today uh, looking in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 2, if you'll take your Bible or your smartphone, your tablet, whatever the case, and uh, let's read in Luke chapter 2 in just a few moments. Before we get there, just uh, be aware, I'd like you to be aware of, I've been saying for a number of months that we are going to renovate the main portions of our our building on the lower floor, and you're thinking, when's it going to happen? It starts next Sunday afternoon. So what it means is all the carpet from starting right here in the front of this stage, all the way into the lobby, into the uh, all the atrium, and into the uh, east auditorium here's you you are desperate to know and to learn how to pull up carpet i know you are so we'll teach you next sunday afternoon at, at 12 30 okay if you'd like to be we can save it thousands and thousands of dollars if you'll come and help us do that we got to move all the pews those of you who sit in the balcony uh, next week as you leave we have to lift up all those pews if you'd just kind of toss them over the edge that'd be fine we'd appreciate that so Next next Sunday afternoon at twelve thirty, all the uh, all the renov people come arrive Monday morning. So we've got to get the whole place empty and ready for that. So if you'd like to participate in that, stop by the connection place and uh, they'll will get you signed up or go online. Give us a call. We need a sig- significant number of people. It'd Be a great way for you to meet people and a great way to learn how to get carpet that's glued down off the cement. Good luck. No, I'll be here. I'll be here. I'll be here. <laughs> So later on the service, uh, later in my sermon, we're going to have a very special moment with the children who are in the building. And to prepare for that, we're we're, we're going to, uh, when they come in, we're going to uh, sing to them. And we're going to sing a song that you probably know if you've been in church a little while. But if you're new to church, then maybe you don't know this. So I want to teach it to
1: you right now. And it's really, it goes like, Jesus loves this I know. Can you sing with me for the Bible? Tell.
0: To sing it again, and those are in the East Auditorium, you're singing so well we can hear you from there. Sort of. But we really, I really, let's try it one more time just to make sure you know how it goes, all right? Jesus
1: loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells.
0: set ready for that later on all right In the meanwhile I'd like to ask you a question have you ever stuck your fingers in those um that they're made from bamboo and they're called the Chinese finger cuffs and you try to get them out and it's really hard well I want to tell you a story that's sort of like that about putting your finger in a space and trying to get it out and it could be difficult so guests I grew up in Australia my family's history is Australian all the way back to the 1840s I don't I all my relatives, all my relatives are Australian. I have no American relatives. I have no Canadian relatives. All of us were born in Australia. And so um, Australians, uh, growing up there, I knew that there were dangerous animals in our country to a higher degree than perhaps other nations. Like You never play with snakes in Australia. Every snake, you're taught as a kid, run away from snakes. Uh, Up in Queensland, up on the northeast coast, in the Queensland area, the state called Queensland, there's something called the inland Taipei. That snake, if one venom, uh, one shot of venom, has enough to kill eight adults. You don't mess with an inland Taipei. uh, Growing up, I knew that when you went out to swim in the ocean, you only swam where the lifeguards said to swim because there were sharks out there. I don't know how the sharks knew, didn't, knew where not to swim, but we would go out there and swim, okay? Uh, you have to be careful of crocodiles. You have to be careful of kangaroos. You mean kangaroos, those cuddly little things? Well, they're cuddly when they're the little ones, and they're all different varieties, but the six-foot-tall ones, the red kangaroos and the gray kangaroos, the big ones, they can thump you to death, literally. Literally, they could, if, they, if you get in a fight with them, they will box they, when they're mating, when, they, when they're fighting their foes, they box each other to see who's the most aggressive male. And if they really want to get messy with you, they'll, they'll put their, front, their, their back paws and lean back on their, their tail and just throw you down and tear your chest out. Lovely, lovely animals, okay? <laughs> There's Iriganji jellyfish. So if you go swimming, everybody wants to go to the Great Barrier Reef and see all the coral, and the best time to go see that is in probably from December through March, and you're out there swimming. Many people are unaware that there are fish, uh jellyfish swimming there. That's the time they show up. They're about the size of your thumbnail. They're translucent. You can't see them, and they, they have long tentacles, um, and the tentacles are about that long, and if those things wrap around your leg, uh, it will put you in a coma. Lovely. So, um, when, if you, these days, if you go to the Great Barrier Reef and you're going to go during that pretty time, they put these plastic suits on you and you look like a blue Smurf, but it keeps the Irriganji off you. And, and um, in, this, in the Sydney area where we grew up, there's a spider. Lots of spiders are poisonous. There's a spider called the Sydney funnel web spider. And Here's how, uh, in our backyard, there were lots of these, lots of these. I used to see funnel-web spiders. Everybody okay right with me, still with me? You didn't come to church expecting a National Geographic scene, did you? But the funnel-web spider digs a hole in the ground about the size of a quarter and is down the bottom of that hole and um, puts a funnel in there that's kind of like those Chinese finger cuffs, that if you put your finger down, it's hard to pull it out. If you get bit by one of those, it'll kill you. And not anymore, because now there's an anti-venom that's been um, created. It was created in 1981. So there have been no deaths from um, the Sydney funnel-web spider since 1981. But I left Australia in 1969. And my cousin and I, I remember being out in the backyard and seeing these funnel-web things, and we'd stick our finger down there to see if we could get the spider to come out. Because if you stuck your finger in, then you'd pull on the web and finally pull it out, and the spider would come out. how was I to know it was poisonous? I didn't know. Isn't that what kids do? Some of you go like, are you kidding me? You did that? Well, when you were a kid and there was something there that you could put your finger in, wouldn't you do it? We did. Some of you are saying, no, no, not at all. But that's what we did. in 1969, I guess if we had come out and bit us, we, I wouldn't be standing here today. Or if I was standing here, I'd look significantly different. All bones. But nonetheless, why do kids do that? Why do kids experiment and try? And perhaps an even more interesting question might be this. Since kids experiment and try, did Jesus do that when he was a little boy? I mean, we know that Jesus arrives on earth as fully divine, but we also make the statement that he was fully human. What does that mean? I want to explore that with you today. We're going to look at what does it mean when we see Jesus is fully human. Next week we'll take on his divinity. But what we're doing is we are um, moving forward in our sermon series, looking at the big story of Scripture. See if we can give you some big ideas. And we finished the Old Testament last week, and um, I want you to be aware that the timeline for the Old Testament versus the New Testament is significantly different. The Old Testament is more than 4,000 years old, probably way, way longer than that. But the timeline for the New Testament is fairly brief. Jesus is born, and the last p- portions of scripture that are written in the New Testament you get from Matthew all the way to Revelation. It's all written, and it's just the story of what happens in about 70 years or less. So, significantly different in terms of the amount of space or time that's, requ- that's involved there. Because for the most part, it centers around Jesus and the early church. And so, We'll, we're starting that today, and if you'd like to step into our reading program, we've had lots of people reading along with us as we've been making our way through the Bible in 13 weeks, and it's a 10-minute times five times a week. So it's five days a week, 10 minutes of reading, and you get to catch up with what we're doing. So if you'd like to do that, this would be a great week to step into that, because we're starting the New Testament today, the story of Jesus and beyond. And uh, you could sign up online, or you can, um, as a matter of fact, you could also pick up uh, the reading plans at the welcome desks are available as well. And where I'm very pleased, if you will, if I could say as the pastor, I'm thrilled with the number of people that are reading. And uh, some of you are reading on your Bibles, reading from your Bibles. Other people, I, I do a lot of my Bible reading these days. I mean, frankly, if I'm sitting somewhere and I got three minutes, I'll pull up my Bible app. It's the Bible app I use is called Version, And uh, the Version Bible app can be, you can use it on your phone or your Android device or your you know, your um, tablet, whatever the case. What's interesting about the U version is that it's been downloaded into almost 400 million different devices now. Can you imagine if you owned that app? 400 million? It's actually an app that was developed by a guy who's not getting, he's not taking royalties from it whatsoever. He's giving it away. And while he lives in Oklahoma City, do you know where he's from? Decatur, Illinois. Decatur, Illinois. Bobby Groenwald is from Decatur, Illinois, who developed the the um, the uh, the Uversion Bible app. And he heard what we're doing. He has family in the life of our church. He heard what we're doing uh, with reading through the Bible, and he sent us a video to congratulate you for participating. Take a take a look at this.
2: Hi, everyone, from First Christian Church in my hometown of Decatur, Illinois. My name is Bobby Grinwald, and I'm the pastor and innovation leader at Life Church. And I'm also the founder of the YouVersion Bible app. And we are passionate about seeing people engage in God's Word. And we've seen God use the Bible app now to be installed in almost 400 million devices, and it's growing by almost four to five million new mobile devices every single month. And so that's one of the reasons that I'm actually very encouraged and excited to hear that you guys are making the Bible such an emphasis for your church. I hear that you're taking 13 weeks to actually study through the Bible and you just completed the Old Testament. So congratulations on that. I just wanna encourage you to stay with it. Not just during these 13 weeks, but certainly stay with it during that time. But beyond that, we just wanna encourage you to make the Bible a part of your everyday life. I'm confident that as you do that, you're going to see God do incredible things in your life as you grow close to him and close to him through reading his word. Congratulations. Congratulations. So with that in mind, why don't we read
0: some scripture together today? uh, Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 22, and we'll unpack this as we move along, and then I've got some comments about it. So this is the story of Jesus. Luke chapter 2 is when Jesus is born. You get to chapter tw- verse twenty-two. He is eight days old, and when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So, what's that about? Well, the so the practice and the habit was that in in ancient Israel, uh, per Moses' law and per the way in which the ancient Israelites figured this out, the first boy born in each family was to be taken to Jerusalem and taken to the temple. The temple was this uh, big, very large building up on the Temple Mount. You've seen the Western Wall. Some people call it the Wailing Wall. It's above that. And the idea is you're going to take your baby boy there at eight days old, circumcised eight days old, ends up in the temple at eight days old, and you take him there and you say, thank you, Lord, for this child. So they go from Nazareth a few days' journey and it's written of the law of the Lord in verse 23. It says, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the law to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. So they're supposed to go, offer Jesus and say, thank you for this baby, and literally hold him before the Lord, if you will, and offer a sacrifice. Now, it's not an expensive sacrifice. Two doves or two pigeons were fairly inexpensive. So the idea was that every family, it wasn't that... Um, You had to be wealthy to do this, and it required a very expensive sacrifice. It was a common, you could buy two doves for not a lot of money. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. When we say the consolation, what are we talking about? Well, think about what we've been looking at in recent weeks, the story of ancient Israel. 1,000 BC, they're in really good shape. They're the military, economic, political leaders of the world. But they walked away from God's direction, and they began a decline. And as they began that decline, different nations began to become the world leaders. 722, the Assyrians take over Israel. Then in 586, the Babylonians come in, and they take over. Then the Greeks and the Romans, as we've talked about in recent weeks. And so Simeon now is aware that it's almost been a thousand years coming up on a millennia, since Israel was free as a nation. And he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. He knows that the prophets of old promised a a Messiah, a Savior who would come and give the nation its freedom. And he's waiting for that consolation. Verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he wouldn't die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit into the temple court. So he's got this understanding, while I'm alive, I'm going to see the savior who's going to give Israel their freedom. And he goes in the temple and while as the parents brought the child Jesus to do what for him what the custom required, Simeon sees this baby and the light goes on. This is the kid. This is the one who's going to provide for Israel's salvation. Simeon takes the little boy in his arms and prays God saying, "Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. I can go home and die tonight. I'm an old man, and it's okay if I die tonight. Why? Because I have seen, as you promised me, that I would see, I would meet the person who was going to bring Israel salvation. My eyes have you seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Now, Joseph and Mary, the child's father and mother, are looking at this going, what's all this they marvel at what he was what he was saying about jesus and then what does Simeon do he blesses them it says now we're going to spend some time this morning looking at what that means to bless a child we're actually going to do it with our children later on but before we get to that sorry before we get to that I, there's some things that I'd like to explore with you about jesus as a little baby we know he was born mary we know at 8 days old Hear what's happened, and that's a relatively brief time. But then there's really only one other story that we know about Jesus when he's a little boy. If you carry on reading in the chapter, you'll get to the end of the chapter where um twelve years old. Again, Joseph and Mary and his family are gonna go to Jerusalem was part of Jewish custom in those days that um, every now and then a Jewish family would leave their hometown and they would go to Jerusalem on a spiritual pilgrimage. And so one of these events where there's going to be a spiritual pilgrimage and the whole family, you could think of it this way, this big family reunion in Jerusalem and the family comes in and there are parties and they go to worship and they enjoy each other. And Jesus is there and they're having a great time and it comes to an end and it's time to go home. And they go home and they accidentally left Jesus in Jerusalem. And you go, how did two parents accidentally leave their, their son behind? Well, you know, you've got all the family around and they think he's with Aunt Sue and, you know, he's not with Aunt Sue. They think he's with Aunt Bo- uh, Uncle Bob and he's not. Can I tell you, this happens in the life of our church now and then. As a matter of fact, a number of years ago, we had a family that this would happen about once a month. Mom would come to work, come, come, to, come to the church in a car. Dad would come to a church in a different car and they they had a number of children, and dad would think that the kids were going home with mom, mom would think the kids are going home with dad, and I'd be closing up the building, and there's these three kids. I'd say, where's your kid? Where's Where's your parents? They've left without us. So eventually, it happened so many times that eventually they'd come to me, and they'd say, pastor, mom and dad left without us again. I'd be starting to get a complex if I was them, but that's a different matter. It, it became so common that eventually I just started taking them home to their house, to their house. And so this is, that's how it works. Joseph thinks Mary's in charge. Mary thinks Joseph's in charge. They think they're with a the relative. They, they start their journey back to Nazareth and Jesus isn't with them. And they go back to Jerusalem looking for him. It took him three days to find him. In the meanwhile, he's in the temple and he's learning all kinds of things from the rabbis. And when they get to Jesus, they're not really thrilled. Read read with me, uh, say, verse 48. His mother finds him and says, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why are you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? They didn't understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart, all the things that you know about Jesus' birth, going backwards in the book of Luke, back to chapter 1. She's pondering all these things and wondering, hey, who is this 12-year-old kid that I've had? What's it going to be like for the rest of his life? And then we read a very, it seems like a throwaway verse. Luke 2, verse 52. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Why is that there? Well, if I could get you to think about it this way. We know that Jesus was fully divine. Fully divine. God in the flesh. But we also know that um, he was um, fully human. And if you think about the life of a human child, what do you know about children? Um, They're very important to us, but if a child is going to make his or her mark in this world, it usually doesn't happen until they're well into their adult years, for the most part. And um, we don't have a lot of child people who are children making a big mark. Jesus uh, at 30 years of age, when he stepped into ministry, we know he made a big mark. He starts off his ministry with the Sermon on the Mount, and we have this huge manifesto that he brings where he's it's kind of turning the world upside down, and he's got a whole new revolutionary way of thinking and living. It's like, like instead of always trying to be the first in line, why don't you try to be the last in line? Uh, when somebody needs you to go a mile why don't you go to the extra mile when when they, they need a coat give them your coat forgive even if they don't forgive you live generously turn the other cheek and all that is there at age 30 but there's really this story about eight days old that we read with Simeon blessing him and this story at 12 years of age with him being lost in Jerusalem and that's about it why that? because he's fully human If he had had showed up at 12 years old and knew all kinds of things, or if he just showed up at 17 and had his act together fully, we'd go, well, that's not really being human, is it? But as coming as a baby, we go, did Jesus drool when he was 18 months old? Did he have trouble walking when he was two years old? What's that mean? And Simeon takes this baby in his arms And blesses him. Here's, here's, Friends, here's a a really important premise about Christian faith. We absolutely believe that Jesus was God and is God. But we also absolutely believe this, that God came in the flesh. We call it the incarnation. It means the Emmanuel came. God is with us. And why did that occur? Why, Why was it important that we have God in the flesh? Rather than just, God, Jesus, if Jesus had just come to earth as sort of an alien, if you will, at age 30 and started teaching. Why is it important that he had that childhood? So that humans would know that God knows what it's like to be human. See, we want to be able to relate to God and not just have God far away. We want God who is with us and the only way in which God could be with us was to, for God to be fully human. That means this God baby at eight days old, this God boy at 12 years old, this God adolescent, this God young man, say at 22, he had to grow and change and develop just like you and me. And I find that an incredible relief to think that probably a five-year-old Jesus in Galilee stuck his finger in something he shouldn't have put his finger in. Because he would have experimented and grown. You know what I like about it most? It gives you and me permission to change. See, it says that Jesus grew in stature. He went from little to tall. And he only grew in size, but he also grew in wisdom. The ability to think clearly. God experienced everything you experienced. So when... You think back to the days when maybe you were three or four years old and how stubborn you were, or maybe you have a three or four year old in your household, or your grandkids, or you've got one in the neighborhood. You go, man, that three-year-old is something else. Do you know that God understands what it's like to be three years old? When you're 14, 15, 16, 17, and you're trying to figure out, I don't know if I can even think clearly, and there's all these strange relationships at school, and how does it all work? Do you know, at one point, God... Jesus Christ was a teenager. When you're 23 years old and you're living in grandma's basement and you're trying to figure out how how am I supposed to do life and I want a vocation and it's not working and oh, I'd really like to be married. I think I'd like to be married but maybe I'm not ready and all that sort of stuff. You know, I've got great news for you. God knew what it was like to be a 20-something. As a matter of fact, it's fascinating to me that Jesus didn't begin his ministry until he was 30 years of age. I mean, here is the Son of God. Why didn't he start when he was 22 or 23? Well, think about what happens in your 20s. In every culture in your 20s. Isn't that when you figure out, am I going to be married? And to who? And in our culture, am I going to buy a house and I'll have to sign a mortgage of some sort? What's my vocation going to be? I'll buy my first car, if you will, almost for many people, first car without mom or dad co-signing for me. And we we do all the lot. We have our first children. A lot of first things happen happen often in our twenties. By the time we get to thirty, we begin. Okay, I'm buying my second house. I remember what it was like the first time around. Or I've had now I've had one kid. I'm having another one, and I uh, you know. Uh, you, It's interesting to me that Jesus waits until he's 30 to have his ministry begin. Here's what's really important, that Jesus came to this earth and in order for him to understand what it meant to be human, he leaves his omniscience, his all-knowing ability in heaven and has to come to earth and figure it out to be human like you and me. And then in the midst of that, in the midst of that, Mary and Joseph take the little boy to the, um, to the temple in Jerusalem. They take this God baby and they say, hey, we want, to, we want to do for our little boy what everybody does for their little boy. And it's really a picture of what happens for all children. That all children mirror what God did for us in sending a baby. Simeon says, I'm going to live to see the Messiah. And he takes that little boy and he holds that baby in his arms and this is fully God, yet fully human. It's interesting to me that God came in the form of a baby needing care. Actually, somebody had to hold Jesus. Somebody had to change the diapers, if you will. Somebody had to hold his hand as he crossed the streets of Jerusalem or Nazareth to not get run over. Not by cars, obviously, but by horses and so forth. I, I, I'm, as the pastor of this church, I watch our families um, raise their kids and bring them to church, or grandma brings, grandpa bring their kids, grandkids to church, or you, people bring some of the neighbors to church, or even, I, I say single people, I watch them say they've got kids around them I'm really, if I could put it this way, I'm really proud of the way in which I watch as those families are leaving each weekend, and I see them taking those sheets that we give out in First Kids, and they say, we're going we're gonna to do this this weekend, and we're going to raise our kids to know Jesus, and that's really good. There are also another, there's another group of uh, individuals within our church that, that Um, do something beyond caring for their own biological kids. We have a significant number of families that have either adopted, they're in the process of adopting, or they are foster care families, and they are doing an incredible ministry that, um, you could think of it this way, they are doing what Simeon did. Simeon held Jesus for perhaps a few minutes, but they're holding those babies and those children for more than a few minutes. They're holding them for nights and days and weeks, months, sometimes years, And I thought, in light of Jesus being blessed by Simeon, you should know a couple of their stories. Catch a hold of what we can show you about some of the people in our church.
3: We felt really called to adoption, actually, when we saw our daughter's picture. We'd always plan to adopt Sunday, but not at the current time. And um, someone shared her photo, and we saw her, and it was like I just knew she was going to be our daughter. God just laid it on my heart. It,
4: our situation for fostering was
3: unique. We knew these
4: two little girls before they were actually put in foster care, so we, they weren't strangers to us. We had a relationship with them already. They had older siblings that were going to a different relative, and they could not go to that relative, so the mother asked us if we would take them. So when we were taking the girls and putting them in the car, we had one bag, had a baby in a carrier, we had a little girl in a car seat, and I looked at my husband and I, I said, what are we doing? And he said, we are taking these two girls home and we're just gonna love them. And that's what we did. We just loved them.
3: To be honest, the first months were hard. I mean, she was scared, and rightfully so, and she was grieving, and and, um, you know, that was dramatic for her. And watching God take something so difficult and broken and then turn it into something so wonderful and beautiful You know, it's just such an amazing example of what he does in our lives.
4: If God has placed this on your heart, then trust that he has a plan laid out because we read throughout the Bible that God has a special place for
2: um, the fatherless.
3: God already has a plan. He's already written the story of your family and and that child. And that's their story. And so God is going to work all things for good, even through the hard stuff. You are their
4: stability. And to me, that's worth it. It's it's just worth it to bring them to be into a stable home, to give them love that they don't get most of the time. Some of them live in total chaos, so your home that is stable and that unconditional love that you give them is everything to them.
3: She is... Um, not only resilient and confident and um, very sweet and loving I mean she just blows me away every day with how she has opened her hearts to us you know and embraced us as her family
4: but I would tell you that she also is just silly like the way that she plays with her siblings and with us and the way that she laughs. Like I just, there are times where I just can't get enough of her laugh. She just blends with everybody so well. The older one brought, she they go to church with me on Sundays, almost every Sunday. She brought a paper home one day from Sunday school. And it said, You are my superhero. And she gave it to me. And I just I just started crying because I'm like, I really didn't think when we were fostering them that I was doing anything special. I just thought it's just what I would do. If somebody needs help, that's what I do. But I guess to her, maybe I was her superhero.
0: You know, around here we talk about being the tangible touch of Jesus Christ. We reach into people's lives and literally be his touch in their lives. And can I tell you, I think these families are doing great in that regard. If you'd like to help out, there are ways you can do that. You could, there'll be lobby, there's a, there's a table in the lobby today. You can um, go talk to some of the families and find out how you might be involved in that ministry. Maybe say, well, we're not able to, I, we couldn't do that in our household. Well, um, we, I assume that some of us could, you know, bring kids in. If it's a short respite care or whatever, safe families is a way to do that. It's fully recognized by the state and so forth. So uh, if you want to find out more about that or you say, hey, I can't help it. I'll buy your diapers for a week or I'll buy your, Can I make a meal for you? Here's my understanding. Think about Joseph and Mary. They're young people. They have no anticipation of a child coming into their lives. They're not even married at the time when the story starts. And yet they both have an angel visit who says, you're going to be parents. And you're going to be parents to God. They are essentially adoptive adoptive parents. And you know what Mary says to the angel? I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled this is an interesting idea that caring for the unexpected child was how Jesus was brought into the world, fully human. And so um, maybe you want to give some thought to that. Because as I look at Jesus' ministry, there are these really cool moments where you see that Jesus really wanted us to care for children. And it's demonstrated with Simeon. But there's a situation in Mark chapter 10 where Jesus and the disciples are off by themselves and some parents learn where he is and they show up and um, they want Jesus to touch their children, to bless them. and The disciples are kind of like political handlers, and they're saying, stay away, we don't want any whiny kids around here. And uh, Jesus says, no, don't, don't forbid them. Don't stop them from coming. In other words, our agenda and our plans have to shift for the sake of children. Their stories and their needs interrupt what we do. And it says that he puts his hands on them, and he blesses them. You know, this idea of blessing this way is common throughout Scripture. There's lots of examples of it where um, it's it's language of love, it's blessing them, it's um, praying for them, it's giving them understanding of hope. And um, we want to do that with our kids today. And so we have, um, it's hard to figure out how to do this. What age children should we bring on stage? Uh, But we're going to bring those four years and up who are in First Kids up on stage with us today. And if you're in the room and that's your age, we invite you to come on stage. And as they come, we're going to sing the song that we practiced. And this is the beginning of our blessing over them. Can you sing with me? Why don't you stand so it's easier? Jesus loves me,
1: this I know. For the Bible tells me so, little one. time Jesus love
0: I know that you didn't expect that when you came to church today, that you're getting it up on stage, did you? Did you know that? You didn't know that, did you? How you doing, Mr. Pistorius? You doing fine? Are you? How's school going these days? You love it every day? You'd rather be out in the combine with Dad, right? No, you don't know? Hey, guys. Here's, what we, here's why we asked you to come and join us on stage today. Because... Are you folding your arms like this? Can you fold your arms? I can fold my arms. You guys get at folding your arms? Oh, all of you know how to do that really well. We, we wanted you to know how much we love you. Not just your parents love you, but we love you. And not just the ones at the house love you, but we all love you. And we really want cool things to happen for you in the days ahead. And um, this afternoon, and in the years ahead. And uh, have, you, have you found your family out there yet? Have you been able to see them? Let me get out of the way. Mm-hmm. Or have you seen you guys yourselves up on the... Your family film over there? What about up there? Have you seen yourselves up on the camera? Look at that. Can you all see yourselves? Can you wave, and wave at yourself? Yeah, I can't really because I can't see my face. Well, you can't see your face. there. Okay. <laughs> you got It's hard, isn't it? Yeah, I know. I know, but... I can't
1: see my
0: Can you see yourself? Here you are, right there. See right there? Look up. There you are, see you waving your hand. There, it is. you, yeah. (laughs) All right, so guys, this is what we wanna do. We wanna pray for you, okay? As a matter of fact, I would assume there are some teenagers here in the room, or in the East Auditorium as well. Could you get with your folks? I know it's embarrassing, but can you go stand by your parents, okay? And uh, we're gonna pray for you, and we're gonna ask them to bless you. And if you've got like a, a college student standing around you somewhere, uh, can you reach out and pray and bless for them as well? Because they're in their 20s and they're trying to figure it out. And uh, I see some 20-somethings over here. You guys can be really manly and put your arms around each other's shoulders. Okay, that'd be weird. That weird. To, all right. That's, so let's do this. Okay, let's pray together. Lord, I pray for all these kids and all the all the young people represented in our church. And Lord, it's dozens upon dozens. And uh, Lord, <laughs> I think about all the all the decisions that families and adults are making for them right now. Lord, that they'll get the right schooling and uh, get the right relationships and have great attitudes and how to care for them, Lord, and they get, they get cold and they get sick and it's hard to figure out how to manage all of that. Lord, I ask that you would gracefully give adults direction over the little ones. Lord, those who are moving from young years into um, adulthood, Lord, may you give them direction. They've got to make decisions, Lord, that impact them for generations, for for decades yet to come. And, um, Lord, these little ones, most of them, Lord, are going to come, there's going to come a day when they're going to want to have a family of their own and spouses. I pray, Lord, that for everybody here that that that's in their timeline, Lord, that you would be preparing that spouse right now And uh, that you would direct their steps. Direct their steps regarding vocations, education, their health, Lord. Most of all, above all, may each of the young people represented in our church, may they know Jesus Christ. May they live for him, we pray, each day of their lives in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Hey, guys, thanks for being with us today. You can go back to First Kids now. Is that all right? Let's hope they all get back to the classroom they're supposed to be And you may be seated. Take a seat, friends. Those who have kids in First Kids, um, as you leave worship or as you go pick them up today, we've got a gift for you that will um, let you continue to bless them. It's a a pack of cards, like for example, on one side, there's a, way, a scripture. It's like this one says, Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring are a reward from him, Psalm 127. And on the back side of that card is a prayer blessing that you can pray over your kids. And so if you'd like to get one of those that are in First Kids today, we'd be glad if you'd take that home. Like this one says, I praise you, Lord, for the precious gift of my children. I promise to love, cherish, and pray for them. Thank you for trusting me to be a parent. And so if you're interested in that, those are available in First Kids as our gift to you. So, with that then, with this understanding that Jesus comes fully human as a little baby and then a little boy and a teenager and everything, but I remind you there's another situation in that we see in Jesus' life that points to His full humanity, namely, He would get His friends around Him. He had friends. He had relationships. And there's a story in Scripture of what happens on the very last night before He dies. And if you're serving communion, go and prepare for that. That would be very helpful. Um, showing his full humanity in the hours before his death he's aware of what's happening his disciples around him his friends around him aren't particularly aware of it but he, during dinner he lays the stage out lays out the stage and he, um, he takes a piece of bread while they're eating he says this bread and he breaks it he Says, this is what's going to happen to my body in the hours ahead and I'm going to be broken and uh, when you break bread in the future will you remember me? After supper it says, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. I'm gonna die, my blood is gonna provide a new promise. Here's the new covenant, the new promise that my blood is gonna cover your sin. And um, that's what happens. Paul the apostle, when he's writing about this scene, he makes a comment after he tells the scene, he says, that um, whenever we eat and drink in remembrance of Jesus, we remember the Lord's death. We remember that he was fully human. Yes, divine, we'll do with that next week. But fully human, this man God, this God baby, this God boy, this God adolescent, this God young man, this God man died for us. We eat and drink in his remembrance. Let's pray together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done